Oh, Jesus. Um, would that be true? Of our hearts and minds, God, that you would be enough, Jesus. So we look at the complications in our world. Jesus, would you come and would you invade our lives? And would you be enough? Would you be our joy? Would you be our fulfillment? Would you be uh, the one who empowers us to love our neighbors as ourselves? In fact, God, your scriptures are really clear that you tell us to love your neighbor as yourself. Not love your religion. Not love your belief system. Not love your doctrine. Not even love your, your Bible, but love your, your neighbor. And so, Jesus, would you be enough and will we love our neighbor as ourself, God? Um, with this time together as we open up your scriptures, Lord, compel us to do that. In fact, Jesus, you even tell us to love our enemy. So God, would you please take this time to transform our hearts and transform our minds and do something incredible in our lives, in our church, in our community, God. And we understand that none of that is possible without you. And so Jesus, as we're about to open up your scriptures, look at Acts chapter 3 and 4. I'm so comforted that you tell us through your prophet Isaiah that when your word is presented, it never, ever returns void. So, Jesus, would that be um, where our transformation happens? Would this word that goes forth from you to us, God, would it have the direct impact you'd like for it to have? And so, Jesus, all across our area and all sorts of living rooms, kitchens, bedrooms, workrooms, offices, God, would you please, 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 Come in and invade and use your scriptures to do something really, really special in our lives and special in our world. And I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Really good to see you all. Happy, happy to uh, spend some time and talk with you. I just go and suggest you get comfortable. You can take your shoes off if you want. That's okay. And um, got some kids with you. Go and bring them on in. It's going to be fun for them. They've got some um, stuff that I think they'll enjoy and definitely worth uh, their time as well. And so got your communion supplies. Now we're all gathering. It's going to be lots of fun. And um, I don't think it's a secret. You know it's not a secret. Uh, our world is kind of a mess right now. Uh, our nation it's complicated. Uh, got two different pieces, right? You look at our nation, and it seems really, really divided and broken. And at times, we feel really helpless. And not only do we feel helpless, we feel at war with one another, right? Like human beings with souls and who are just wrestling through the complications that we're looking at. And we're not really sure what to do. I'm not sure what to do. And on top of all those things, why our nation has so much unrest in it right now, you know, you'd agree with me here. Not only did our nation unrest, kind of the reputation of the church. Like if, you know, president's got approval ratings, uh, you have opinions on that, I got opinions on that, but not for today. The church kind of has an approval rating as well, and to be really candid with you, it's real low. The church is seen as um, uh, anti-progress, anti-women, right? Anti-equality, anti-human rights. All these different things, and there's just this um, inaccurate opinion of the church, and yet it's, it's out there, right? And so uh, many of you can remember where the church was celebrated and honored as a place of integrity, 
And now all of a sudden, there is this vitriol kind of focused at the church. And um, it's causing some of us to cower, right? Not really sure what to do. Definitely causing some of us to be uh, less outspoken about our faith, less confident in our faith. Got all those things going on. And um, what I just want to kind of point out is this is not a new place in history, right? Where we're going to find ourselves in the book of Acts, um, short for the actions of the apostles, the first century Christians, Jesus dies, goes to heaven, empowers his people, and this is the move of the church. And guess what? The church's approval ratings at that point were pretty low. So low that they were meeting in caves. They weren't allowed to assemble together. Pretty interesting, huh? Right? And so just this this complicated world, and in those moments, in those moments, God was preparing to do some of his greatest work. And so one of the things that I love to teach you and been able to teach you for quite some time is this, this word providence, right? That, that word means that God sees all things. So I always want you to see this eyeball, like God sees all things. And a hand, and God works in all things. So God is always seeing all things. He's always working in all things. And I want you to see a heart. And he's doing it with deep compassion for his children right? And so the picture of God at work through his church has just been the plan for the last 2,000 years, and it was the plan that he prophesied for thousands of years earlier, right? That God was going to do his greatest work when it seemed like it was impossible, where it seemed like there was no way. God was always making a way, and that was through Jesus, and that kind of brings us to kind of the review of where we've been for, frankly, the last three years. So in order to understand where God has us in the middle of the unrest in our nation and unrest in our own souls, unrest in our own families, right? And to understand that, we kind of have to understand the purpose and the plan that God always had, which is important when we think about it. And you should know this. If you're brand new, uh, just stay with me. This will be worth your time. That um, in the very beginning, there was this triune God, right? You can go back to the Holy Spirit series and listen to week one if you want to understand some more about that because it gets really, really complicated. But what the scriptures tell us is that um, in the very beginning, God existed as God in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They were all one God, and yet they were three distinct persons. All sorts of crazy make your head want to explode. But the beautiful part about that God that existed in that way, that means when he existed, when he began, that means before we ever got here, God had everything figured out. And before we ever got here, God was an eternal God of love. So you've heard God is love. That is so true. In fact, you see it in the perfect picture of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They had infinite love. And you know this. What do you do when you have a lot more than you need, right? An infinite supply of something. What do you do? You give it away liberally, or you don't like that word, generously, right? Not conservatively. You, you give it away in the greatest sense, right? You just give it away, give it away, give it away. Why? Because you have an infinite supply. So the God of the universe, in the very beginning, had infinite love to give out, and guess what he did? He created an object, a recipient, a human, made in his own image and likeness. Every nation, every color, every tribe made in his image and his likeness. Why? Because he had infinite love to pour out on his people. And that begins the story that we know in the scriptures called creation, right? That God spoke it on existence. And that gets really complicated. And you're going, I don't know that I believe that. I don't know that I believe it. I don't know that I understand it. And yet, come up with a better conclusion. Some atoms bumped together. 
or where those things come from. And here's what I love about even science and, you know, academics. All of us are trying to figure out the how all this got here or what happened. But none of academics, no amount of science or history, None of that can explain to you why we got here, except for this, except for this. This infinite God who had infinite love decided to create humans, create a world, and pour out his love and blessing, right? And this would always argue to you and say, hey, you know, you know what this is like. You've, you're familiar, particularly if you've had kids, right? If you've had kids, what you, what you know is you didn't decide to have children because you thought it'd make your life easier. You didn't have kids because you thought, boy, one day I'm going to be old and either I'm going to have to go to a retirement home or they'll take care of me. They'll change my diapers when I'm 80, right? They'll change my diapers when I'm 107. That's not what you think of when you decide to have kids, right? You decide that it'd be great to invite someone into your experience, to love them. And you know, we all know that um, once you have kids, actually life gets harder gets more expensive, right? Think about the two of you when you were married and you had no kids. Two incomes, no kids, right? Beautiful. And yet, with the pain and the sorrow, your capacity to love, the way that you love your children just continued to increase, right? Because you know, the reason you decided to uh, go down that route through adoption or, uh, you know, biologically, whatever that was, is because you knew that you wanted to pour love into your children, which actually helps us really understand the way that God the Father kind of um, responds. And so an act of God's will, right? God the Father decides to create the whole world. He speaks into existence, and he pours out his love on his people. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Genesis that the very first humans on this earth were named Adam and Eve. And it says that once they were created, the two of them and God, it said, and God declared it was good. It was perfect. And you know, and I know, and you go, whoa, 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 that's not the world we live in, right? Social media will tell you. Facebook definitely will. Insta, Snapgram, chat, whatever those things are, they'll, they'll all tell you. Uh, your local uh, news station, your, you know, in your flavor, they'll all tell you that our world, it's complicated and broken. And while they all have their own narratives of it, we all know that there's something often and you go, well, if God created it and it was perfect and good and he was going to pour out his love, well, what happened? Which leads us to the second part. The fall, right? So essentially what we know about the scriptures, what we know about human uh, creation, the human narrative is that God created us. Everything was perfect. An act of God's will, perfect creation happened. And then, and then, someone else's will gets acted. Someone else's uh, choices get um, input it, right? And so if creation and infinite love was an act of the Father, God the Father, a perfect God, infinite God, infinitely loving. If that was all an act of his will, then this fall, this brokenness, this separation between us and this perfect God, the one that wonders if that God exists, the, wonder, the one who wonders if that God really loves us. So if creation was an act of the Father's will, what we know, what we understand is the fall this separation was an act of our will. Mankind, all humans, in some way or another, me, you, everybody watching and listening, at some point, we have said to God, we like our plan better than yours. That's sin. And it's separated. God goes, you want your way? Have your way. Do your thing, right? right? That's, this loving God releases people to make their own decisions, and all of us in some way or another have looked at God and said, we like our plan better than yours. Now, some of you go, no, no, I've never said that to God. And here's the reason. You just don't think God exists. So why in the world would you follow his plan if you don't even think he exists? So you're just saying to him, God, I don't even think you exist. Therefore, I could never follow your plan. And what we know, all of us, 
is that all of us at some point have made decisions that have done damage to ourselves, damage to the ones we loved, right? Deep hurt and pain, right? And we even know the, the biggest enemy each of us face is not, you know, someone with a different skin color, different nationality, someone who roots for the cowboys, right? That's not, that's not our deepest enemy. We all know the one who's done the most damage to us is not someone out there, but our own self, right? So if creation was an act of the Father's will, what we know is the fall was an act of our own will, which sounds pretty devastating. And in fact, if you were to read our news right now, you would even understand that that's the world we live in. There is this catastrophic, not even hyperbolic, view of our world, right? This, this brokenness, and people go, what in the world are we going to do? Because here's the thing, if it's left up to man, what are we looking for? Government? Government's going to be our solution, right? And we know that even at the deepest, highest levels in the darkest valleys, wherever those things are, that humans are broken and flawed. So if our solution for our broken world is each other, on our own, we know that we're in really big trouble. Many of us can't agree on what we're going to eat lunch today, right? How in the world can we agree on the complications of our broken world? Capitalism, socialism, liberalism, progressivism, conservatism, all these different things, and all of us believe there is some pathway, but we know that we chase those pathways long enough, they're not going to solve all of our problems. Right? And so if this is the story, God created it, and man goes, we're not really interested in you, God, which is how many of us believe the world exists now, right? That's a really devastating story if that's the end of it. Oh, but that's not the end of it. In fact, remember, God's providential. He sees and knows all things. In the beginning, when he created it, what he says is, let us, talking to the Trinity, make man in our own image. Meaning, he knew in that moment he was going to create us. He knew in that moment we were going to walk away from him. He knew we would be in a broken nation in 2020. And he knew there was always a plan. So if creation was an act of the Father's will, if the fall was an act of man's will, here's what's really interesting. There's this third part of the story of the Bible, and it's called redemption. And the word literally means to be bought back. Right? That someone comes back and buys us out of our own pain. Buys us out of our own enslavement. In a way that we can never ever afford. We cannot pay God back enough for how broken we are. We cannot do enough to resolve all the brokenness in our families, the brokenness in our nation, and brokenness in our world. So it was going to take a deep cost. So if creation was an act of the Father's will, and the fall was an act of man's will, what we know and what we understand... I don't have Jesus. <laughs> I don't have Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, we're not stopping this. We're just going to keep on rolling. Redemption, redemption of creation was act of the Father's will. Fall was the act of the, our own will. And we know redemption, redemption was an act of the Son's will. Right, the God of the universe sent his only son, what tells us in John chapter 3, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. In Romans, it tells us the wages of our sin, the payment that's uh, reserved for us, that is on our balance, on our debt sheet, the wages of our sin is death. But the gift, the gift of life, the gift of eternity comes from Jesus Christ, his son. 
And so if creation was an act of the Father's will, the fall was an act of man's will, and redemption was the act of the Son's will. That's it, right? And so that's all beautiful. Okay, good. God saves us. He welcomes us back. Well, what's going to happen in our world? We've prayed the prayer. You've prayed the prayer. I've prayed the prayer, right? Dear Jesus, come to my heart. Uh, forgive me. Help me be a better Christian. Save me of my sins. All those things, all across our globe, all across our nation, people have prayed that prayer, asked Jesus in their heart, and we're going, but look at our world, right? So we've had people stand up on the corners with their bullhorns, screaming, you're a sinner. Repent, right? Oh, good. Pray the prayer. You're good now. And yet, we've heard that message for hundreds of years in our country. And yet, there's so much unrest. So if Jesus is here to redeem us, then why are we not redeemed? If Jesus is here to make all things right and new, and as he prayed it, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in this heaven. Is this what earth looks like? Does it look like heaven? Doesn't feel like it, does it? which leads us to the most important point, which is why three months later we're coming back to this and going, I need you to understand this. If creation was an act of the Father's will, our fall, our brokenness, our defiance was an act of our will, redemption, Jesus coming in and paying the price for our sins, stepping on this planet as a human being and paying the price that we deserve to pay, right? And giving us the life that he only could offer us, right? Then if that's the case, there still is another part of this, and that is where Jesus now reunites and restores us back into the plan that he's always had for us, that heaven would invade earth, that heaven would invade Chester County, that heaven would invade Pennsylvania, that heaven would invade Delaware and Maryland, that heaven would come in. And as on earth, on, in Chester County, at Christian Life Center, in New London Township, in Lincoln University, PA, in Oxford, PA, in Kenneth Square, PA, go on and on, in those places as it is in heaven. And so you go, well, how in the world does that happen? Oh, remember, we got the Trinity, got God the Father, God the Son. And if that's the case, then restoration is an act. It's an act of the Holy Spirit's will to come in and empower us to come in and declare these things. And so the way that I would describe it and help you see it, I hope, I hope you get this, right? It's just like we have all these beautiful resources. I mean, I'm sitting without an air conditioner on, I think. Um, or not cool enough yet. In a big, beautiful building. 60 acres. And all across the globe, there's millions of church properties. Hundreds of thousands of church properties. And they sit empty. And for many of us across the place, we thought this building, this place is going to be the solution. I mean, even I'll be just real candid with you. We moved here. We're going, this facility, these 60 acres are going to be the hub of the village. And right now, it can't be a hub, this location, right? And so what it feels like is we have this big, beautiful car without any gas, right? And so we have all these resources, but they're just not empowered or fueled by the one thing we need to restore this world. And I would go, that one thing is not a thing. It's a person. It's not some kind of impersonal force, but a powerful person, the Holy Spirit. So um, about a month ago, a little over a month ago, we had to drive to Florida for a family emergency. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we get into the sermon in the next couple of weeks, maybe even today. And um, we were driving down there and it was, uh, it was pretty mission critical time was we got to get down there and I drive fast. I, I try to stretch out brakes, about a 13-hour drive, 12, 13-hour drive. And so I uh, only stop as 
you know, when we are really close to running out of gas and the kids use the bathroom, we get like a snack, you know, a hot dog at the gas station, and we hop back in the car and go. And so I usually stretch it out. And um, something you should know about me is uh, I've probably ran out of gas uh, 35, 40, 50 times in my life. Because I like to stretch it out, right? In fact, I've ran out of gas in Montana a couple of times. I've ran out of gas in basically every every uh, state in the union, right? And just ran out of gas. And so I was watching it, and gas was getting low. And I'm like, I got to stop. And I kept going and didn't stop. Got to stop. But I, okay, maybe we make it one more exit. And I'm driving down the interstate, and I'm talking to my sister about the family emergency. And all of a sudden, I feel my car cut off, right? Completely cut off. I'm on the interstate. And I'm like, uh-oh. I don't think Julie's going to be very happy with me because uh, I don't know what we're going to do. And so... I quietly put my car in neutral, right? Just put it in neutral. I'm still on the phone. Kids are there, and uh, the car is off. And so it's in neutral, and it's just coasting. And I look up, and there's an exit right in front of me. So I slowly go on the exit, and um, long kind of on-ramp or off-exit ramp. And I come off, and I look at the red light, and I'm like, uh-oh, there's cars coming. But if I stop, this isn't going to keep going because I'm going downhill. And so I kept it neutral, and I just, you know, no, no power steering. I just kind of <laughs> pulled the steering wheel as hard as I can, and I coast and yield in front of other cars right into the right lane and then there's a gas station down the hill to the right and so I pull in and I kid you not my car slowly coasts all the way in and it pulls up right next to the gas station and I would like to declare that that's real efficiency right not smart not clever but efficient and so I fill up a gas smiled at my wife she was so proud of me so proud of me she's like Josh you're so awesome at this right and I kind of feel like that's what our world has looked like. The church has just tried to do it all on its own, tried to do it all on its own, and finally we're going, oh, we do not have the power. We do not have the power. We do not have what it takes to get where we need to go now. And all of a sudden, it feels like we've just pulled up, and God and His gracious has brought us right to the place that we need for this restoration to happen, right to be filled and fulfilled and empowered by this third part of the trinity the holy spirit what i love about where we are right now is that last week would have been the story of pentecost in the church calendar that represents the moment that the holy spirit comes in and invades and 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 starts empowering the people so god jesus before he gets ascended back into heaven post-resurrection he says stay right here acts chapter 1 verse 6 he says stay here and uh until the holy spirit lands on you then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. That's what he tells, right? And so that is the picture. And then all of a sudden we see in Acts chapter 2, this infilling, this indwelling, this Holy Spirit. It comes and just lands on people. And it's so beautiful because they're people with different skin colors. They're people who can't understand each other, literally, because they do not speak the same language. And the very first thing that God does in the restoration of his world is his Holy Spirit comes and lands in this place. And scriptures say it was like a mighty rushing wind. And there was flames of tongues sitting on people's heads, right? You could see these fires. And all of a sudden, they were amazed because they started being able to understand and hear each other. God's children, regardless of their nationality, nation, creed, tongue, ethnicity, all could hear and understand each other and boy do we need that again in this post pentecost season like god could you do the same thing in our world right now so the very first thing that happens in the scriptures in this new moment is that god god sends his spirit who comes and dwells on his people they're waiting with expectation can we wait with expectation and then this spirit comes to lands and they start understanding each other and then the very next thing that happens is peter gets up and i love it he goes Hey, guys, you are accusing these people of being, being drunk. It's only 10 in the morning, right? And then he offers this 
explanation for what's happening. I'll remind you, this same guy 50 days earlier was done. Right? He turned his back on Jesus, renounced his belief in him, and went back to fishing. And then God in his graciousness come and, comes and reaches out to Peter and goes, Peter, I need you to feed my sheep. Hey, fishing is a hobby. Shepherding is a job. But I need you to feed my sheep. Love my lambs. Talking about his people. I need you to care for them. And so this is Peter's first opportunity to care for the people. And he goes, hey, hey, hey. This is the God of the universe. This is his spirit. This is what he promised and he declared. Hey, repent and be baptized. Be renewed. There is a new fresh wave that is coming. And finally, for generations, for thousands of years, we've been waiting for the spirit to come and dwell on us forever. And that picture of the Holy Spirit was the plan by which God's mission was going to go forward. That Holy Spirit was the way by which an active, the Holy Spirit's will is the way to restore the world. That Holy Spirit is our solution for the restoration that needs to happen in our nation, in our communities right now. And this is the perfect season for that to happen. So I feel like we just coasted right into the gas station. We're just primed and ready. And I think today's the day that that Holy Spirit comes in, empowers our lives, and transforms us. And so in Acts chapter 2, it ends with this beautiful picture of this church loving each other regardless of their nation's regardless of their skin colors, regardless of their languages, they held everything in common. They broke bread together. They communed together. Like we get to do separately in our own homes today, right? They did all those things together. And it says the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That's the picture of what we see in the gospel. And we see in the book of Acts. And then the next thing we see in Acts chapter 3 is kind of the first miracle that happens um, with Jesus' followers. This is not Jesus' miracle. This is the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus' people. And this is what you see happen the minute the, um, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells his people. Now, what I want you to notice in this passage that we're about to read in Acts chapter 3, I want you to notice um, that this is a marginalized, broken person, and this is who the gospel's for. This is what the Holy Spirit comes to do, to come and take care of the injustices of our world. We see them, we understand them, we experience them now. Same thing. God's going, let me show you how this happens. So I want you to see how this happens. And I want you to see the type of people that, that do this miracle. I want you to see what happens to them as a result of what, uh, uh, this mir- what, the result of doing this miracle. I want you to see all that stuff. Then I want you to see the response and the community praying together. And I want you to see what the Lord does. And may that be the framework by which we work through all this um, over the next several weeks. And so if you join me in Acts chapter 3, so if you're not familiar with the scriptures, um, that's okay, glad you're here. Got the Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament kind of tells the story of how broken this stuff happens and points to the solution of redemption, right? Um, the New Testament begins with the, the one who redeems and buys us back, Jesus. He is born, God becomes flesh, that's Emmanuel, and then he lives this perfect life, lives the life we should have lived, dies the death we deserve to die, right? And then, uh, so there's, the New Testament starts out, there's four books about Jesus' biography, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the biographers named Luke was a doctor turned investigative journalist who was very interested in the story. After writing and investigating the story of God in the Gospel of Luke, he becomes so convinced it's true that he leans into the movement and starts, uh, gets in the middle of it and writes the book of Acts, which tells the, the story that happens right after Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the empowerment of the apostles. It's the Acts of the Apostles. And so in Acts chapter 3, we find ourselves right outside the temple gates, this big, beautiful, religious building that had no power. 
no power. The temple veil had been torn. It's kind of in chaos. The Jewish religious leaders are trying to hold on to what they've always held on to, charge the money, do the same thing they've always done. And then there are these, these ragtag former Jews from all sorts of different nations who started believing the truth of who Jesus was. And they were starting to gather. And one of the places they gathered a lot was just outside the, the, the main temple gates in this place called Solomon's Porch. It was like this big pergola or pole barn kind of attached to the temple where um, kind of protected you from the weather, the heat. And they, these Christian Jews, the former Jews who became Christians, would get together and chat. And so it's a pretty common thing. And where we find ourselves as Peter and John, they're these two guys, and they're still doing the same Jewish things they've done. They're just now going, but this is all about Jesus. They go to the temple every day and pray. There's three different times they pray, nine, noon, and three o'clock. And so we're going to find them at three o'clock, walking back to the temple and pray. And so here goes. This is Acts chapter three, beginning in verse one. Now hang tight. We're going to go through this fast. Acts 3 verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Okay. So really important that you understand this. So this is the 3 o'clock. This is the third session. They're going to the temple and I was like, okay, so I want to help you get this, right? And so I'm going to, um, just bear with me. Uh, we don't need these anymore. So put these up and ah, there we go. You got that story. You remember it now, right? Okay. So instead, I want you to imagine Peter and John and I don't, um, have any good cardboard cutouts uh, cut of Peter and John. And so you're going to have to use your imagination and um, see. Here's what we got. We got uh, Sven and Kristoff. Sven is the reindeer. Kristoff is the human being. And uh, for, for this story, I'm going to need you to see them as um, uh, Peter. Got it? And John. Okay? This is not what they're really like, but this works for us. Peter and John, they're walking. It's 3 o'clock. He's just checked his watch. You can't see it because it's behind his furry arms, and those are actually sleeves. And so he's going, hey, let's pray. So they're going to the temple to pray. Everybody with me? Going to the temple to pray, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So they're showing up, Peter and John, okay? So verse 2. Now a man who was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Big gate, just outside the temple, trying to figure out exactly where it is. We're not sure. Right around kind of the inner and outer courts. So this would be where the non-Jews could go and hang out versus where the Jews could. This gate, this guy was carried there. So every day he was brought in, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Got it? So, um, okay. Oh, okay. So this is Peter, right? John, Olaf will be the, the lame guy, okay? There we go. He's on the ground. He was carried in there. He got Olaf. Can you see him? There he is. Olaf here. Help me, help me. Give me some money. Help me, help me. Give me some money, right? Peter and John are there, and guess what they see? Look, there's a man asking for money, and he comes every day. He's dropped off. This is his daily routine. The guy can't walk. He is broken. He is a beggar, and he is marginalized. We don't know why, but this is a terrible life for him. No idea. So his goal every day, he gets dropped off there. This is kind of the babysitting. He sits at the beautiful gate and asks for money all day. Now when John, or when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he looks at them. Excuse me, sir. Right? Can I have some money? That's what he asks. Right? <laughs> he's tiny, Tim. I'm so sorry. Um, so he's there. He's marginalized. And verse 4, Peter looks straight at him. Peter looks straight at him, as did John. There we go. Got it. No matter he's still on the ground. They're looking straight at him. Got it? Then Peter said, look at us. 
So Olaf, the man, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. No, here's the deal. This is really interesting because you got a, a, a poor man who has nothing, and you got two poor people. Remember, Peter was a, uh, he was a fisherman. John, he basically was a mooch. He was like the youngest of the disciples, probably didn't have a real job, right? And so the two of them, they don't have anything. He's no longer fishing, right? He's trying to feed sheep. And so he's trying to figure all this out. So these are, these are traveling evangelists with no money. So they don't have anything to give him, which is kind of the world that we live in, right? You're going, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to solve the brokenness in our world. I see all sorts of pain, all sorts of sorrow. And some of us look at this guy and go, no, that's just the victim. That's just the victim. He should suck it up and figure it out, right? Whatever your opinions are on all this stuff, there's a guy who's in need and you have all sorts of opinions of this. But one of the opinions many of us have is we don't have anything to fix this. You don't have what it takes. You don't have how the solutions to solve the brokenness and all the problems in it. Right? And so they look at him and they go, well, he wants money. They don't have money. Now watch what happens. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. See, I told you, traveling evangelist. Actually, he stays in Jerusalem, so he doesn't really travel that much. But he's still, you know, no love offerings, right? Um, uh, silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, I give you. Okay. This really neat kind of small sub point is God is not telling us to give something we don't have. The whole goal of this empowered by the Holy Spirit is not to go manufacture something. The whole goal is to just give what you have. Now watch this right here. So he says, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name. The name of Jesus Christ. Name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He says, walk. Well, wait a second. He was just trying to get money. He wasn't looking to walk, and really, he's been like this for... 40 years. 40 years he's been like this. And they'll say he's going to walk. Now, you would think this guy would argue with those guys, especially when they look like this, right? You know, reindeers are better than people, right? You get this. So you're looking at this and going, I don't know this and all this. And so this guy, you'd think he'd argue this, but watch what he does. Taking him by the right hand, so Peter reaches down, he helped him up. So he lifts down, he helps him up. Literally a hand up. Reaches down, lifts him up. And it says this, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Transformative. Crazy moment. The first miracle that we see in the New Testament, empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring about restoration in this world, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. In that moment, he looks at him and says, let me give you Jesus. You want money, but money's not going to fix this. You need Jesus. So he gives him Jesus, commands that the Holy Spirit transform him. Stand up and walk. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Praising God. Praising God. So his first response as a result of this miracle, you see this? Isn't that all? He was so excited that all of his problems were gone because he'll have more problems. But his first response and all this stuff was that he was able to see God in this. You see, there was this moment, right? He was running out of gas, had nothing else. And in that moment, in that moment, where there was no other solution, Jesus comes in. And in that moment, primed for this Holy Spirit moment, he stands up and walks. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as a man who used to, be, uh, used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him, right? 
right scenario to go, there is no way. Where there is no way, the Holy Spirit can make a way. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms the brokenness of the situation in such a way that people are filled with awe, filled with wonder. While the man held on to Peter and John, and all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Porch. Right? Jewish Christian hangout. You see it in Acts chapter 5 to tell you about this. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, watch this, he said to them, <laughs> it's so funny. He goes, hey, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? He's going, hey, 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 you're looking at us like we're special. Like you're staring at us like we did something. Why are you looking at us like that happened? Do you not understand this broken situation? We could do nothing. We had nothing to give this man. We had nothing. We had nothing. In fact, we go, oh gosh, we don't have anything. What's in our inventory? Do we have anything? No, no pockets. No, we don't have any water. Do we have anything? Do we have a mat? We can help carry him. Wheelchair? Do we have anything? No, no, we don't have anything. Oh, you know, we do have. We have Jesus. <laughs> See this? Like we are scheming and trying to figure out all the brokenness and problems in our world. And we are trying to solve them all. And we're looking for all the solutions from all the things we have. All of our education. And they go, we didn't have that. So they're going, what we do have, we'll give them. We had Jesus. So you're looking at this and you're thinking we did something. But you understand, this, this situation had no good option. I am not a medical doctor. I do not have supernatural powers. There is nothing that I, Peter, or John could do other than give them the one thing we had, which was Jesus. So many people go, what do we do in our broken world? When we give this world the only thing that we have, Jesus. You know, it's crazy as I was telling you about that family emergency. Hey, uh, you're going to have to go back to the floor here. You sit with them. Uh, there you go. Um, I told you about the family emergency. Uh, four and a half weeks ago, I got a call. Long story short, um, that things look really bad for my father. Really great health, all those kind of things. And he was not doing well. Not doing well at all. Complete renal failure. Like it was tragic. There was no good news. We were being prepped for the worst news. Hey, Josh, from my dad, this is not looking good, right? So he gets rushed to the hospital. So we hop in the car and drive down. And Julie and I literally are having the conversation. Should we take funeral clothes? Can we even have a funeral? Oh my gosh, am I going to have to officiate my 74-year-old dad's funeral. Is that my responsibility? Like, just working through all that stuff, driving fast, you know, trying to get all the way to Florida. And, you know, I, it just looked terrible. And I felt so helpless. Like, I was talking to my dad, mom, trying to go, hey, God's good. I've seen cr crazy stories recently of God healing people with cancer, all sorts of stuff. So I'm telling her those things. And yeah, going, I have nothing to offer. And so I'm not much of a texter. I'm terrible at it. I'm um, not good at correspondence or emails and stuff. But I started just thumbing, I kid you not, thumbing through my most recent texts. And I'm just sending them, will you pray? Will you pray? Will you pray? And I'm like, you would think I'd always do that as a pastor. I'm just inviting people to pray. But I just, in that moment, I was so helpless. I was going, anybody could think of, would you just pray? Would you just pray? Would you be praying? Hey, would you reach out to us? Would you be praying? Because there is no, there seems to be no way. And then we get news later that night at midnight that uh, my dad actually had coded. He had died. His heart had stopped beating. His lungs had stopped receiving oxygen for two minutes. And then through some crazy supernatural miracle, uh, he was resuscitated. Um, the doctors, his, him, mom, family, are just astonished at what seemed to be a very unlikely chance he'd ever walk out of a hospital. And now here we are four and a half weeks later and uh, prognosis is, looks like full recovery, right? 
And the reality of all this stuff is like, I'm a Christian. I believe these things. And yet, it just seems like I, I don't, I, my default isn't just to trust Jesus. My default isn't just to look to Jesus. My default is to look to myself. When there seems to be no way, it's in those moments that I go, gosh, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta tap into the possibility of this power. Right? And then, so I just want to kind of point out kind of the, the climate of our world. You and I cannot fix this. So would this kind of point us, the same way it pointed this beggar, looking up at Peter and John, he just wanted a little bit of money and survive for the next day. And Peter and John going, we can't do that. We don't have anything to give you, except the only thing you really, really need. So I know what that looks like. So the Holy Spirit has to empower us to go and bring Jesus into the conversations in this world to allow his power and his spirit to come and dwell in our communities and do that through us. So Peter goes, you're thinking I'm doing this. Look, I have, I have no power. And then he goes and he talks about this power and he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. So he's going, hey, hey, you're the Jews, now you're Christians, but you remember, you thought this guy was a, was a crock. You thought he wasn't helping you. He wasn't meeting your needs. He wasn't making your days any better. He wasn't helping you sleep at night. He wasn't paying your mortgage, right? So this doesn't make any sense. And so you go, that's not what we wanted. We wanted a government official who could reign and rule and give us an easier life. So you handed him over to the government officials who goes, yep, let's just kill him. Pilate, though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. You think that's really bad? You killed the author of life. Could you do worse than that? You killed Jesus. So whatever baggage you got to go, I'm not welcome here. These guys, they killed Jesus. But God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as all of you can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Hey, I don't know how our country got where it did. There's a lot we can own there. I don't know how your family got where it got. I don't know how we all ended up in the place that we did, but we ended up there. And if you're facing what seems to be insurmountable, this is what Peter's saying. Do you not see something more insurmountable than the God of the universe was put into a tomb? But he brought him back to life. We're all witnesses to this. So here's our response. When I know your responses, here's step one in the whole thing. Verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's what you should do. Change the way you think. It's okay to admit that you can't fix this. Admit that you haven't done it right. Admit that you have had problems in your life, thoughts in your head, behaviors that you've done. Admit that you have done damage to yourself and to others around you. Own who you've been. And admit that you cannot save this world. You cannot save yourself. You cannot fix your problems. If there's going to be restoration in your life, it's only going to come through the Holy Spirit. And so then Peter's going to remind them of God's providence. And he's going to tell the story of, the, of creation and fall. He's going to remind them of the story found in Deuteronomy. And remind them of the, the writings of David. And so he's going to remind his Jewish brothers and sisters all the stuff that God had, had providentially done. That God was seeing all things. He was working in all things with a heart of compassion to restore and redeem his people. So he's going to remind them all these things. 
And he's going to finish up the sermon. And then it picks up in chapter 4, verse 1, that says this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they're seeing all this. They're like, uh-oh, that guy's moving. They were greatly disturbed. See this? There are going to be people that don't like this. Crazy news. There are some people who love the disunity in our world and the power it gives them. There will be some people who will hate if this gospel invades our country and invades our lives and invades our neighborhoods and invades every skin color. There will be people who won't like that. And so they see this mesmerizing moment where there was no way and when the backs, their backs were against the wall and there was no option where Jesus comes in and the Holy Spirit invades, intervenes, and transforms things. So they see him speaking. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Peter's going, yeah, this is crazy. A lame man just stood up and walked. But a dead guy came back to life. You get that, right? Like, you've seen Jesus. He was put on a cross. He was murdered, captured for all human history, put in a tomb. Three days later, he comes back to life. And then for 40 days, he walks around showing us his scars. His scars. Didn't have to have the scars, but he wanted to remind us of the story of God's providence even through the darkest and most painful times. So the resurrection of the dead. They didn't like that. So what do they do? They seize Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. Thrown in jail. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. More persecution. Where there seems to be no way, let's put up a roadblock. There cannot be any more. They get thrown in jail, and as a result of their suffering, for the sake of the gospel, more people came to faith in Jesus. So they're in jail overnight. The next day, the rulers of the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. So it tells us who they are. Anna, Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John Alexander, and others of the high priest family. So you see this. Verse 6, I was like, oh gosh, we have Peter and John, and we have... Uh, the lame man. So we have Christoph and Sven and Olaf. Wait, we need the bad guys. And you see what the first one's name is? It's Anna. It's actually Anna's, Anna's, but. So here's the bad guys today. That's why, I mean, they could be just shopping face masks, but we're going to pretend those are like, I'm going to rob you, right? So we have the bad guys. You follow me? So here, here, here we got. So we got the bad guys, Caiaphas. All the high priests looking at Peter and John, and they're going, uh-oh, right? So this is like a showdown. Oh, the big, strong, powerful government leaders. They're going to they're gonna ruin the whole thing, but these guys are bringing about change. They're in jail. They're imprisoned, right? And so we see the showdown between the bad people. That's right. Elton Honor are the bad people in this one. Sven and Christoph are the good ones. You ready? Verse 7. <laughs> they had Peter... And John brought before them and began to question them. Here's what they say. By what power or what name did you do this? How'd you do this? How, tell us. How'd you do this? Like, these people are getting along. This guy, that guy, the guy sitting on the stool. Hey, everybody. He's, he's walking. By what power did you do this? Notice this. Then Peter, pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. Filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not Peter's power. He's not special. He's not trained. He's not educated. He didn't have a ton of experience. 50, 60 days earlier, he was cursing out the Roman guards. Right? So this is a guy who just has walked through a tornado. Filled with the Holy Spirit. 
filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, government officials, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, that's what you're upset about, shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, that's this guy, right? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ, only name, guys, only name, Christ, Christ in us, Christ is enough. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before us healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. You turned your back on him. You think there's some other way. Jesus is the only way. 2,000 years, our world is broken. Jesus is the only way. Thousands of years before, people kept crying out, God, would you save us? And he sends away Jesus, right? Salvation is found in no one else. You want salvation. You want our world saved. You want your life saved. You want your family saved. There is no other way. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You want our world saved? We don't just show up at church. Don't just write a check. Don't just serve a couple of times. We call out and we cry out and we beg Jesus. We beg his spirit to invade the brokenness of our world. And we ask him to do it in us first. Watch this. When they, Elton and Anna, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Step one, repent. Step two, m- repent, right? Step one, admit that you don't have, you, you can't do this. Admit that you have thought about the way this world gets solved the wrong way. Admit that salvation is only in Jesus. Repent. Step two, throw away the excuses. But I can't. I don't have enough experience. I don't know the Bible well enough. I'm not educated enough. I've only been believing this for a week or a month or a year. Like, no, no, I can't do this. I'm not the guy. Some pastor, somebody on stage, one of the elders. They should do it, right? Step one, repent. Step two, knock out excuses because I love this. Elton Anna, right? The, 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 the government Jewish officials look at them and go, oh my goodness, we're in big trouble because that's a reindeer and a caveman. Unschooled. Ordinary men. They don't know the books of the Bible in order. They got kicked out of, they literally, this guy got kicked out of Hebrew school. Right? And they look at them and they're astonished and they're going, no, 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 we don't know what to do because they don't, they can't. We don't, what do we do? Unschooled. Ordinary men. And I would just say, please, 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 would you quit trying to pretend you're something you're not and lean into the person you are so that God gets credit for the glory that he does in and through you. Because they noticed they'd been with Jesus. So step one, repent. Step two, throw away the excuses. And step three, could we please all, please, with everything we are, could we go to the feet of Jesus? Could we go and be with Jesus? And you're going, I don't know him well. Go sit and feel, God, I'm not going anywhere to see and experience you. So when I go back to my family, when I go back to my workplace, when I go back into the house, when I go back into that conversation, when I go back to my parents' home, whatever that is, when I go back, what I need them to see is that I've been with you. Like whatever that is, could you just, I mean, literally put down some anger and go, God, I'm staying here until I can have you and know you so that when I leave here, people will know that I've experienced you. Would you just stay in your cars? Right? Would you just stay in your, on your couch, wherever you are? Would you just stay right there and go, God, I'm just going to stay here until when I leave here, people will know that I've been with you. 
But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, hey guys, right? There's nothing they could say. <laughs> right? So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they said. Man, that'd be the question that happens in our world. What are we going to do with these churches? What are we going to do with these Christians? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in the name, in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they're going, hey, here's the deal. We'll let you out because we're really nice people, but here's the thing. You can't ever talk about him anymore. You can't talk about Jesus. You can't worship Jesus. You can't say his name out loud. Don't wear the shirt. Don't carry the Bible. No, no, you can't do those things. You cannot talk about it. Just put your head down, go to work, keep your mouth shut. Let's just pretend like that's not a part of you. If you do that, we're fine. Just stop talking about him. Stop praying to him. Stop, you know, announcing his goodness and his glory. Could you just do that? Verse 19, but Peter and John replied. Step one, repent. Step two, knock out the excuses. Step three, Stay until you go. Jesus, will you be with me? So when people see, they go, they've been with Jesus. Step four. Ask this question, logically. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? Hey, guys, which is right in our eyes? To go, no, let's just keep our head down. No, 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 we'll let someone else fix it. No, 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 we won't participate. No, 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 we won't love. We won't talk about Jesus. No, no, we won't worship him. We won't do any of those things because people will be upset. Listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Right? Be with Jesus. God, can I see you at work? And can I hear the good news of what's happening? And can you invade our life so much, Holy Spirit, that we can't help but stop continuing to talk about what we've seen and heard? After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed, was 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they go back and go, hey, some crazy stuff happened. Olaf started walking, right? It was crazy. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is the prayer. This is the prayer. So this would be the prayer. You can just keep praying. Just keep praying it. Keep praying. Oh, Jesus, I want to be close to you. Keep praying it. And this is what it says. Sovereign Lord, they said, May you hear our prayer, God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Everything we see out here, everything we see, God, you made it all. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Sound familiar? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? So literally Peter's quoting David, who's seeing our broken world, experiencing our broken world. The king of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. God, there are people who don't love you. There are people who don't know you. And there are people who are trying to rise up against you. But you alone are God. Jesus, you alone are our source of salvation. There is no other name on this earth by which we are saved. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. There's a government officials. There's also people who do not believe in this, and they're conspiring against the name of Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power 
and will have had decided beforehand should happen. So they murdered him, Jesus. But even in that, they murdered Jesus. But you are making a way where there is no way. You are bending and shaping all this for our good and your glory. You are seeing the evils in this world and you are preparing them for something great. The worst thing in this world that happened was God of the universe got murdered. And yet that's how we all received salvation. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. God, would you please enable your certain, uh, servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders. God, would you do that? Would you stretch out your hands to the name of your holy servant, Jesus? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. God, would you shake this place? And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? And spoke the word of God boldly. Would we speak the word of God boldly? And let me just be really clear here. You hear these things, and maybe you're excited. Or maybe you're really hesitant going, no, I don't know that I can do that. I can't solve that. I can't be that. I can't do that. I don't have it in me. uh, Excuse, excuse, excuse. You are right. Hear me wholeheartedly. You cannot save this world. You cannot bring good news to people. You cannot solve the problems of our world. You can't not you, but Christ in you. And so what I love, right before Jesus dies, he, he's looking at these apostles, and he's knowing that they were the ones who are going to take this message in Acts that we we're going to carry 2,000 years later and declare that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about the restoration. All that day, uh, Christ looked at them and knew they were going to struggle, knew that they were going to be concerned, and knew all these things. And he stopped for a second, and he did something so sacred. And hear me, this is beyond just this neat little thing, this little object lesson we get to do. There is something that supernaturally happened, the same way that the Holy Spirit indwells us, that happened in this moment. And then he invited them to do it from this point forward. And so what I'm talking about is the Last Supper, and then what we get to do is in communion. And something sacred happened, and he took some bread and some wine, which we got juice here in front of me, and he looked at them and he says, hey, 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 hey. I want you to see something. And so wherever you're at, wherever you're sitting, would you grab those elements? Would you pick up the bread? And I want you to hold it. If you're with your family, I want you to look at them. And you can pause this if you need to. I want you to look at them. And I want you to take this. And I want you to break it. I want you to break it. And go, no, no, no. Here's the thing, guys. It's my body that was broken. My body is broken. And he says something so beautiful when he says this. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. That word remembrance doesn't mean just, you know, think about it nostalgically. It means, would you bring what I did in this moment to your present circumstances? Would you bring, would you kind of channel this moment? Guys, I'm breaking it. I'm showing you what's happening. And I'm telling you, this is my body. It's broken for you, for me to empower you through my spirit. And as often as you eat this, do this in memory to me. In other words, bring this moment, the fact that I died a sinner's death so you don't have to. And then I'm going to be resurrected from the grave so you can believe in my power. And that same power I'm going to use to conquer the grave. Do this in remembrance. Bring it into your moment. Bring it into your life. So in this moment, I just say, Jesus, as I consume your body, as I consume your body, would you indwell me? Would your spirit come into me? that your body that was broken for me, would you come and would you live and be? Would you forgive me? I repent, God, and I'm stopping to make excuses because it's not me who does it, but it's Christ in me. And would you, right in this moment, kind of pause, you can talk about it, you can ask questions with your family, whatever that is. Would you just take this? Would you eat it? And invite God to invade every part of your life.
And the beauty of the whole story is then Jesus took wine and boy did they understand this and he would have poured out a little bit and he said I want you to see this see this this is my blood shed for you and he would have they would have been used to all sorts of different glasses and cups of wine and understood that it covered for atonement and all these things he'd pour out and he says here 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 take drink this invite me in right invite me in this is like this is you know we we say it that we're blood's thicker than water you know that you know the statement right blood's thicker than water meaning this is family this is family take it you're my family drink this this is my blood that was shed for you because i don't want your blood shed this is my blood that was shed for you take drink this and when you drink it do this in remembrance of me in other words my body is broken for you my blood was shed for you so that you could be my family so that I and you could commune. You and I could be one. So that I can empower you to be my witnesses all across the globe. And so would you take this? And would you bring this moment, apostles, would you take this moment, 2,000 years later, saints of the church at the Christian Life Center, would you drink it? So would you take, take some juice, take some wine, and would you drink it? Drink it. And receive the invitation to be Jesus' family. Receive the invitation to chase after him and follow him. Be empowered by him. You cannot fix your problems. You cannot save your family. You cannot fix your children. You cannot save our nation. You cannot save our world. But Christ did and Christ can. Yet not I, but Christ in me. And so as you take this, would you take it and see it as sacred and the power of of Christ, the same power that conquered the grave now can invade us. Would you believe that when you say, God, I'm staying here, Christ, would you, would you invade every part of me? So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, the sovereign God of the nations, to come into our life, come into our church, and then I double dog dare you to sing with that conviction about this song, this hymn that says it's not us, but Christ in us. Would you believe that to be true? Here's why. Because it is true, even if you don't believe it. So let me pray. Jesus, you're good and kind, and I cannot believe your body was broken for me. I cannot believe your body was broken for my family and our church family and our globe. It was broken for us. And I can't believe your blood was poured out for us. And God, as we consume this, would we, would we receive it as being part of your family? Would we receive it as being covered for our sin and our iniquities? Would we see it as great love that bought us back to you so that the Holy Spirit can empower us so we can participate in the restoration of this world. Holy Spirit, would you invade our lives? As we sing now, and I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Hey guys, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for leaning in. That was a long one. Um, but I sincerely believe with my whole heart that um, the God of the universe is preparing our church and preparing our world for his move of his Holy Spirit. And let's not miss it. Let's jump in on this. Let's ask God to indwell us, be every part of us, and with the, the power of the Holy Spirit come and invade our lives. And when we walk and go, we don't have those things. What we do have will give you in the name of Jesus. Be healed. In the name of Jesus, be loved. In the name of Jesus, uh, be fed. Whatever those things. When we ask the Lord to reveal to us what he's given us in his name. And then we share it with the world around us. And if, you're, um, if this is your first time with us, really, really glad you're here. Love to know that you joined us. Would you uh, mind either sending us a Facebook message if you're watching on Facebook or if you're on YouTube, leave a comment. Or if you're on our website, you can click the connect card and kind of let us know you're here. If you've got something we can be praying about, love, love, love the opportunity to do that as well. And if you didn't know, uh, now Sundays at 1030, we're hosting an in-person service, a drive-in service that you can join us every Sunday at 1030. If you have information about, want information about that, go to clcfamily.church. Click on the big red, red tab at the top that says drive-in services to get more information about that. And we'll keep posting, we'll keep sharing, and we'll keep letting you know what's going on. And can't wait, wait, wait to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do in your life your family, your workplace this week. Love you guys. See you next week.